You're listening to Song Stories. I'm Sophia Bromowitz. In the fall of 2019, I taught a writing class at the University of Virginia called American Roots Music. At the end of the semester, I asked my students to pick a song from the 20th century and tell a story about it. Each writer approached their song with different questions. How are the song's musicians influenced by their setting, by their personal lives, or by their collaborators? How do we as listeners feel different responses to different kinds of music? And where do these feelings come from? What did a song mean then, and what does it mean now? You can hear their answers to these questions and more by listening to their podcasts. Today we're going to hear about the song Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed. This episode was written, produced, and performed by Lucas Esser. Hello, this is your host, DJ Lucas. Today you will join me on a talk on the wild side. In case that one went over your head, we'll be discussing A Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed. Holly came from Miami, FLA. The song opens to a low, relaxed bass line paired with a light, twangy guitar riff. Reed's soft, powerful voice emanates over maraca-esque drums. Reed's sing-songy introduction eases the audience into the song's less conventional themes. Plucked her eyebrows on the way, shaved her legs, and then he was a she. She says, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. The fourth line's abrupt break in rhyme scheme opens the theme of transsexuality. Reed's voice relaxes, prompting the audience to take a walk on the wild side. The song is structured around the stories of Holly and other influential members of the early queer community. This form exemplifies the ties between these early subcultures and rock, further art as a whole. All five characters were Warhol superstars, actors in Warhol's independent films. Warhol and Reed had a deep artistic connection, initially stemming from Warhol's management of the Velvet Underground. Over the rain-like pitter-patter of the percussion, Reed begins the introduction of his second subject, Candy Darling. Candy came from out on the island. In the back room, she was everybody's darling. In parallel structure with the preceding verse, the audience is told that Candy came from out on the island, referring to Long Island, New York. This is an important location in Warholology, with films like My Hustler having been shot there. The second line creates a pun from her surname, opening to her only further characterization comprised solely of references to oral sex. This voyeuristic description of Candy is characteristic of common Warhol themes and goes along with Reed's self-described motivation. I have always thought it would be kind of fun to introduce people to characters they maybe hadn't met before or hadn't wanted to meet, you know? The kind of people you sometimes see at parties but don't dare approach. Outside of her involvement with the avant-garde, she starred in small craft warnings on the special request of Tennessee Williams. The song's third verse is devoted to Joe D'Alessandro, one of the most celebrated gay icons of the 20th century. Little Joe never once gave it away. Everybody had to pay and pay. Reed characterizes him as a hustler, true in his film roles and to a lesser degree in his personal life. 
It is interesting that Reed focuses on this dramatized aspect of D'Alessandro instead of revealing more. This acute focus shows a growing trend in Reed's series of characterizations. The reason is certainly not for lack of cultural relevance, as D'Alessandro even claims a 24 by 36 inch plane of real estate on my wall, something I was unaware of until I began my research. Aside from being the face, or rather torso, of the Smiths, the Smiths, he is also the crotch on the cover of the Rolling Stones' Sticky Fingers. If the connection between Little Joe, Rock, and New York is so glaring, it is only logical to assume that the roots between these communities are deeply interconnected. This can be traced back through investigation into Reed's descriptions. It is significant that he is recognized in the song for his work with Warhol and not his more commercial roles in Matlock, Miami Vice, and a string of other projects tied to A-list actors. This solidifies the mutual connection between Warhol as well as the importance of the related experimental art movement. Our fourth character, Sugar Plum Fairy, or Joe Campbell, is introduced with yet another sly prostitution euphemism. Sugar Plum Fairy came and hit the streets, looking for soul food and a place to eat. Then, Reader inserts the euphemism of soul food for drugs. This observation would likely be unrecognizable on first listen. This euphemistic style creates ambiguity that allowed the song to be played on radio stations or other censored mediums. Kent hints, to start with, any song that explicitly mentions oral sex, male prostitution, methadrine addiction, and an upfront advocation to take Valium and still get airplay on Radio 1 must be truly cool. His ambiguity and overall coolness allowed the song to flourish and garner Reed a considerable degree of commercial success. As Dr. Era Osterweil notes, for unknown reasons, the verse devoted to Campbell emphasizes his exploration of black culture suggesting that his own wild side might be found in Harlem, and that racial intermixing was an essential part of his persona. I agree with this to the extent that an encapsulation of 20th century New York would be incomplete without recognition of key cultural influences. This is also supported with reference to the Apollo Theater. Went to the Apollo, you should have seen him go, go, go. A very important site in New York's musical history. Similarly, the refrain, And the colored girls say, Might seem out of place in 2019, and it has been altered in some renditions and performances. I believe it is just a homage to Reed's musical roots in doo-wop and jazz, which bear comparable influence in the context of both New York City and rock as a genre. Joe Campbell has many surprising historical ties, most of them romantic. He was in a long-term relationship with Harvey Milk, the first openly gay elected official in California. 
as well as one of the most prominent gay rights figures of the 20th century. Further, after his relationship with Milk ended, he dated Oliver Sippel. Oliver Sippel went on to stop an assassination attempt on then-president Gerald Ford. Jackie is just speeding away Thought she was James Dean for a day Our last star, Jackie Curtis, is metaphorically compared to James Dean through the lens of methamphetamine. This verse further demonstrates Reed's masterful use of euphemisms. Then I guess she had to crash. Valium would have helped that Her figurative crash is paired with a symbol, with the last line clarifying the crash as a stimulant come down. Her cultural significance as a Warhol star and writer earned Curtis her spot in the song. She even gave Robert De Niro his first stage appearance in her play Glamour, Glory, and Gold. Sadly, as the verse suggests, she had a long-term drug problem and ultimately died from a heroin overdose. Reed also had drug problems and had an affinity for methamphetamine as well. This draws a personal connection. As Dr. Jason Halsam observes, the song Coney Island Baby is dedicated to Reed's long-term transgender partner, Rachel Humphreys. This personal anecdote unveils another personal connection between Reed and the subject matter. These ties between transsexuality, Reed, and sexuality in general demonstrate the thoughtful nature behind this song. The deep connections that are drawn from these characters are, first, their challenge of traditional sexual and gender conceptions. Along with these would be their challenge of traditional Western art and consequent transcendence of the creative roles between actor, painter, musician, writer, muse, coexisting. This artistic tie is physically bound to Warhol's factory, a studio where Reed presumably met many of these characters. Third, drug use ties these characters together. While they may have begun creatively, the toll has physically manifested itself in many of the characters, ultimately including Reed himself. In the next segment, we dig a little deeper into this song story. Lucas Esser will reflect on what he figured out about this song and how he put this episode together. I'm Lucas Esser. I'm a first year at the University of Virginia. Um, I chose A Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed as my podcast topic. You are also a listener of music. Yes, you could say that. <laughs> Um, so what brought you to Walk on the Wild Side? Oh, man. Um, well, I grew up listening to mostly rap. And then uh, as my friends like introduced me to different artists, my well, my friends have a band, so they're like into punk, rock, all that jazz. So uh, he introduced me to the Velvet Underground probably like five years ago. And I always really liked them. And then... I chose a walk on the wild side, I guess, because it's Lou Reed's like crowning jewel. Uh, like he didn't get any recognition throughout all those years in the Velvet Underground, and then finally with this crazy song, he made it famous, <laughs> sort of. 
Um, and you do a really cool thing with your podcast in the way that you approach this song and trace it and tell its story. Um, how did you think of this way of approaching it? And can you describe how you did it? Yeah. So what I did was attack the song through the lens of the song's different characters. And I think that the song's lyrical structure itself really lended itself to that format because it's it's sequential, I guess. And uh, I basically just did like a little bio on each of his subjects and then explained the connections that that has between rock, like Warhol's art movement and the early queer community. Yeah. Could you talk a little more about the history and how you came to be interested in that history? Uh, I came to be interested in that history because of this project, I guess. Um, I never really looked too deeply into Warhol's work or anything like that prior to this, but I always assumed that there was a deeper meaning to this song, and when I went into it, I found out that there was. So, uh, like, even in mainstream uh, mainstream lens, each of the characters has, like, very important impacts on pop culture today, I guess you could say. Yeah. Were there any characters in particular who you were interested in? Because you really go about it in this, like, directed way. And I loved it. I learned so much from it. And it made me wonder, like, who did you want to just do a whole podcast on by the end of that? <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's pretty difficult to put a finger on because... Candy Darling sort of has a very vague characterization. There's not very much information out about her. And then Joe D'Alessandro, maybe him, probably him or Joe Campbell. Joe Campbell had like a lot of very surprising things in his personal life that related to gay rights and then one of his boyfriends stopped an assassination attempt on a president, so that was kind of crazy to learn about. But I guess overall I'd say Joe D'Alessandro. Cool. But did you feel like you were able to say most of what you were yeah, wanted to say? Yeah, for sure. At least in what I felt needed to be said to bring about the conclusions about what impact they had on rock. Is that what you wanted people to take away from the podcast? Yeah, I think so. Um, when you have a song that has like very abstract and weird sounding lyrics like that with references to like prostitution and hard drugs and things like that, it might seem on like a first or second or tenth listen that it's just nonsensical, but it really has a lot of depth to it. Yeah, I think your podcast really taught me that. And it makes me wonder, like, do you feel like there's something special about this song that lets you get to that depth? Or did you walk away from this feeling like, man, like maybe all songs have this depth if you just listen to them over and over and over again? I think it's not every song, but this song in particular, I think definitely has something special to it because he was just in the right place at the right time, I guess. New York, at the time when Warhol was doing his thing in his factory, he was exposed to like all these different characters, and he got to see firsthand the impact that it had on his own career, their careers, 
uh, even people like Robert De Niro. Um, Holly gave Robert De Niro his first stage role, which I thought was pretty interesting too. So just all of that together, I'd say. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you found the right song. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I initially wanted to do a pavement song or a Silver Jews song or something, but I had already done one on Front Words, which is like my favorite pavement song. And then when I just was considering which song to do and I looked into the song again, I was like, wow, this is a lot more than I thought it was. Yeah, um, you definitely like make a really convincing case for that, honestly. Thank you. It's like uh, listening to it felt like opening up like a bunch of different little worlds. Mm hmm. So that, like, you could just learn about it forever. Yeah. I, I tried to be pretty abrupt with the musical clips I put in there because I think that was something that Reed used in the song to contribute to it, like, out of nowhere. Shaved her legs and then he was a she. She said, hey, babe, let's talk on the wild side. That's completely out of context with what you thought was going to happen prior to it. And so just including enough to give a sense of what Reed was trying to convey was an important technique, I think. Yeah, and really successful, too. I loved how it unfolded, and you could listen to it unfold while you went. Thank you. Um, and I actually wanted to ask you about the process of making this podcast, because I know mm -hmm. this is, unlike many people who did this project, you actually had some familiarity with... Yeah, with Audacity. So I had some issues at first connecting the microphone to my laptop because I have an old MacBook, so it was making a lot of static at first. So after a few attempts, I finally got the threshold and everything worked out. And I was just... The way I recorded the podcast was just in one take, and then I, I put pauses in where I knew I was going to put the clips in, and then meshed it all together using like fade ins and fade outs in the, the song clips. Is this a medium that you would want to keep exploring with this kind of thing or do you feel like it's better for other stuff? Yeah I'd say I'd like to make more podcasts. It's definitely a long process at least the way I write. I like to have the right synonyms all of that stuff so it takes me a long time to get through the process but Maybe in a time where I'm less busy, I'll get around to making some more. <laughs> um, is there anything that you wanted to make sure that we talked about with like the song or with what you learned about listening or with the creation of the podcast? Um, I guess I would just say that while something at face value, like a song, could seem pretty out there, if you just do the research, and then draw your own conclusions from lyrics, too. I think that's an important first step to take to be able to come up with a unique viewpoint rather than just rehashing what other people have said. Thanks for listening to Song Stories. Song Stories is a member of the Virginia Audio Collective. Listen to the whole series and learn more at virginiaaudio.org.